Hey everybody, welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Nerdy Movie Podcast. It's the 12 Days of Star Wars series. And on the first day of Star Wars, uh, Gungan left for me. A uh, Sith Lord uh, sliced into two. (laughs) You know I was going to do it. That was reaching, but I, I love you, man. Don't ever change. (laughs) <laughs> oh i had worse ones wait till we get down uh, to like the uh, five golden rings i i'm sort of afraid of that uh, uh, anyway <laughs> but yeah uh, will bruce say hi hi <laughs> greetings all right so uh if you're uh, paying attention we are going to be doing a series uh every day for the next 12 days if you're uh, downloading as we're going to go uh, the 12 Days of Star Wars, we are going in chronological orders, uh, with not the release date, but the actual official timeline, whatever. So we're starting with episode one from 1999, The Phantom Menace. Oh, sweet mother of God. Can we talk about this film for a bit? Why should we? So uh, a little backstory for me. I saw this film in the theaters on my birthday in 1999. Uh, Because that was the year I turned 21. Yes, indeed. And a bunch of my friends came over. We had a big party. uh, And we we started by going to see episode one, The Phantom Menace. That was was my birthday party, my 21st birthday party. And I needed a lot of booze afterwards. (laughs) So it was good that I was able to drink legally at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I didn't see it the first day. I saw it the second day. So I went. I guess I was one of the people who just didn't want to try to camp out for tickets. Remember, that was the thing. People were camped out for like months to get tickets. Oh, oh, yeah. I didn't see it the day it released. That that did not happen. I mean, uh, it came out. When did it come out? It, it came out before June. May, uh, May. Yeah, it was in May, and it was it was it was in theaters forever. People forget this movie was in theaters for like. Until I want to say like September or October, maybe even longer for some theaters. Um, this was, in fact, a big freaking deal of a film. Yay! We were all talking about how we saw this movie. So Will had a really good story about his birthday and uh, disappointment, which I think is very good because 21 is the last good birthday, Will. So I think that works well. Unfortunately, I'm considerably older than Will. So uh, and my birthday is a little bit later on in June. So I did not see it on my birthday, but I did have uh, have a wonderful experience in that the theater I saw it uh, was next to a bar in Atlanta called the Highlander, which has some notoriety so we started at the bar went to the movie saw the movie and then returned to the bar and that journey from hope to despair uh attenuated or accentuated rather by the liquor uh is burned into my brain and nearly had a friend of mine kill me because at the moment i was not uh very plussed by anakin skywalker and uh my friend uh who shall remain nameless (coughs) ian uh he (laughs) he was very agitated um about my reactions for some time and threatened my life numerous occasions so uh that's that's where that film took me 
Oh, um, yes, Ian, our former guest on, on the Greatest Movie Never Made podcast. I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, yeah, uh, I saw this. See, my birthday was actually early May, so I anticipation coming up. And for a present, my mom, when I turned 20, got bought me a uh, couple of new Star Wars figures. So I got the Anakin Scott. I mean, I got the Obi-Wan Kenobi one with the little clicker that you could uh, make a lightsaber out of. And also a uh, C-3PO without the armor, which is one of the weirdest decisions among weird decisions for this movie. <laughs> I will say uh, Ian was not actually present for that viewing. I think he'd already seen it seven times by the time I got to see it, but uh, my reactions still did not please him. Um, that was, <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing there, this, uh, this has been debated. Is this the worst star Wars movie? Now we've already discussed this in another, uh, for another one, which I was going to be included in the series. Attack of clones is much worse. This one, I think we have the advantage of now seeing what was much worse going down the line, that it's actually not near as bad because there's no romantic problems in this movie. Well, except that you sort of know them. So this this movie suffers from a number of problems. Um, prequel problem is just inevitable. Like, we all know where it's going and what are you going to do? Where, where? How does the tension properly or possibly build? Um, we know Obi-Wan survives. We therefore pretty much can anticipate, since we've never heard of Qui-Gon, that he might die. You know, it, it's it's just very difficult. Uh, I mean, they can throw you little Easter eggs and carrots, like the origin of R2-D2, the origin of C-3PO, which I wish they had not done. But um, <laughs> Oh, we'll get to it. But but I, I will start out by, you know, I, I try to always approach these uh, for your, your for the show with the what were they trying to do? What were their challenges? What could they have achieved? Did they hold to their vision and maybe I don't like it? Or did they mess up the execution of even what it seems like they were trying to do? And what I'll say here is that, um, first of all, I have failed you. I have failed this city. Uh, another reference, not entirely right, but why not? Um <laughs> I could not actually get through this without fast forward. I, I could not live <laughs> with the CGI padding sequences uh, in particular uh, were what stopped me from fi finishing this. Uh, but um, I will say that like the existence of the phantom edit implies that there is some nugget of vision in here. Um, and I will say that things that I can clearly see George tried to do is like, I'm going to up the lightsaber game considerably. I have new technology available to me now. I have the money to get real fight choreography and it shows and it shines some of the best lightsaber sequences in it. He, he went with wonderful music and the scores are great. Um, so the th he clearly got to do things he wasn't able to do uh, to his satisfaction uh, previously, but Overall, wow, I just, uh, he also overindulged. I mean, I think there's been so That's... much ink spilled on it, but things he chose to do here should not have been done. Yes, I, I think we can all agree about that. And it's not just one character that is the most notorious, it's five characters or more. I mean, there's several decisions that are like, didn't need to happen, or why did he go this route instead of this you know, route? Like, for me, my biggest issue is not, say, like, how bad Jar Jar is portrayed. It's, why was Anakin Skywalker an eight-year-old boy? Why couldn't he be 13, 14? You get different acting qualities when you get somebody a little bit older. He should have realized that when he was doing auditions that maybe this kid should be older, not younger. I, it seemed very strange, because if he's going to cast Natalie Portman as 
Padme, his future wife, they should be, I think, more of a different or closer in age. And I think the problem was he saw the professional, decided that's who he wanted when she was 12, and then realized, oh, she's going to grow some in the three years between. Right. No, I, I agree. Uh, there's You can see some thought processes here, but again, um, no one at this point in his career, he made all the choices and he didn't have the self-awareness to vet these choices um, and allow contributors to help him. I mean, it's it's in the first trilogy. You know, everyone says Empire might be on its own the best of the three movies. Uh, and that's the one where he didn't direct and he had while he had budget, it was sort of uh, he had all the crazy control in Star Wars because it was a long shot, crazy studio project. Okay. This made a lot of money. So some oversight and collaboration came in and he didn't yet have the clout to buck that 100%. And I think that's where he worked the best with some safety rails on him and some checks and balances. Uh, I would like to point out that there is what I refer to as the art of the compromise. And sometimes choices have to be made in movie making that are compromises between the vision of the director and the, the ability of the producer to stomach those choices and the ability of the actors to implement those choices. And the first trilogy of movies is a great example of that. I mean, I think everyone here is on board with A New Hope was saved in editing, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything in that what? movie is, the editing is the unsung hero of that film because mm-hmm. it is so tight, it is so well paced. The, the editing drives the film. The cuts drive the film. They move things forward. Everything is moving and the forward. Music. I mean, the music's great, but the editing is what drives the story. The editing is what drives okay. the, 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 uh, the plot forward. It puts the characters where they need to be. It cuts out the crap that you don't need. And then we have The Phantom Menace, which is practically the opposite of that. This is the movie that George Lucas made when he had literally 100% control over everything he possibly could. And look at it. Let me go down my list. I, I have lists of good things, lists of bad things, and lists of things that are fine, right? Like I always do with these films. Bruce has already touched on lightsaber duels and the music. 100% I agree. Those are great. Let's talk about some of the background shots real quick. There is one really good background shot in this, and that is when they first get to Coruscant. Because Coruscant, is a fun fact, is based on Trantor from the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, which was a planet that is entirely a city, right? I think pretty Correct. obvious that Coruscant is, is heavily based on or directly ripped off from. And they realize it. It looks really cool. All the shots on Coruscant look really cool as long as there's nothing else going on in them. <laughs> the biggest problem with this film and pretty much every one of the prequels, and I'm just going to harp on this forever, is there is so much... telling us stuff and not showing us stuff and so much actively boring cinematography it's always people walking down corridors it's always people sitting on in tables sitting on couches talking to each other shot reverse shot it is boring there is so much boring in this film that uh, let's talk about the opening sequence let's go through the opening sequence right so the opening sequence the crawl comes up what the hell is this film about? This film is about, oh, there's a trade negotiation that's gone awry. What the fuck are they talking about? What is this yeah. trade? 
Who are these people? Why do I give three shits? Why are the Jedi involved in a trade dispute? Why does a fucking trade federation have a goddamn robot army? What is going on? What is so important in space trade that Naboo can't live with it for a day? Like, my people are dying. Dying of what? They live on a lush planet with plenty of resources and natural wonder. What is the fucking problem? Yeah, it's uh, there's uh, it's it suffers from the idea. Well, we'll explain it in the novel. That's kind of what I think. You can't explain things in a novel. That's not good enough. You can't. If I have to go read a book to find out what your movie is about, you have failed as a movie maker. One hundred percent entirely. None of this stuff makes any sense. Who is the main character in this film? I would argue it has to be Qui-Gon, which when he dies, that pretty much is the problem. But it's not Qui-Gon Jinn. He's fucking boring. Nothing happens and he doesn't do anything. He sort of talks a little bit and does stuff, but Anakin – not Anakin. Uh, Obi-Wan's there half the time, and Obi-Wan's certainly not the main character. And Obi-Wan does just nope, as much as Qui-Gon. It, it, it should have been Obi-Wan. In my view, if this movie had been – if the whole first trilogy had been very tightly bound to Obi-Wan's – perspective i think you would have had a better set of stories similarly to like how the other three were framed around luke if it had been the obi-wan story but probably the problem was in order to fulfill sort of skywalker prophecyitis it had to be theoretically an anakin based trilogy but you don't but like finding anakin uh, is part of this story, which is weird. And so yeah. you just need to have an excuse to have the Jedi find him, which, and and also because Anakin has to father Luke, you have to have him meet Padme, which would have been better if that had actually like, let's just take this whole thing and divorce it away and put the Jedi on Tatooine straight up for other reasons, maybe related to the fact that there's horrible huts running the place, which is a much better hook and then the two fated lovers meet in movie number two as, you know, adults. That might have been a lot better. Uh, but yeah. now, in order to make his timeline work, he's shoehorning teenage elected queens into his world. He's shoehorning random political conflicts that have never, ever been mentioned in the material um, you know, the prior stuff mentioned that the empire is the result of emperor winning an emperor versus senate contest that is established in episode four or, but yeah, in one line, but at in least it's established line. to an extent. Well, no, there's several lines. There's, there's lines where Leia tries to invoke senate privilege. There's, uh, other people reflect on the disbanding of the senate and the governors. There's, there's at least that's more well-grounded than this. That's infinitely like understanding who Leia is and why she thought she could get away. And what happened here is suddenly her diplomatic immunity card got revoked. Why her guards look completely different. I mean, I mean, you learn a little more later that it's not, but it all makes sense. They're, they're intercepting a diplomatic transport. It's only lightly armored. The army is taking over like these, these threads make more sense than anything he stages to set the stage for this here's another question let's work backwards on this so what is the overall plot of this fucking movie and here's what i think it is and you guys can help me out here i think the plot of this movie is to show palpatine getting elected chancellor by creating this crisis on naboo by acting as darth sidious to do the thing at what point in his evil plan does it help him to kill the jedi and not tell anyone that they were there 
When, when, how right. does that help his plan in any way? Why doesn't he just tell the trade federation, tell them to go fuck themselves, and then they'll go back and say, hey, look, they, they told us to go fuck ourselves. A crisis has been created. The queen can even show up later and be like, yeah, they told us to go fuck ourselves. Uh, are you going to do anything about it? And when Chancellor Valorum says, eh, we're going to do a committee, the same result happens. So how does murdering the Jedi and blowing up their spaceship <laughs> and invading a fucking planet – and why do they need the fucking queen to sign this treaty? Like what had happened if she had just not done it? Like what are they going to shoot her? Is that going to cause a crisis? I, what the I, hell is the plan I, I, here? I think the idea is he was – he screws up this one, but not because of the Jedi. I think he wants the Jedi to go down there. I think because he, he figures, oh, they, he knows these Nemoidians are kind of dumb. He can get them to do whatever he wants, and they won't do it right anyway, which is kind of the point. He's manipulating the greedy idiots. Uh, I, I mean, once again, it's a case where there's probably more we don't get because Lucas just, just forgot to add it or decided to cut it down. Uh, but I will argue that his goal was just to see if he could, uh, you, if a droid army could pull off something and it failed. And then he's like, okay, well, we'll start the clone army. I think this was his test to see if he needed to build the clones. Because uh, the droids can't kill the Jedi. That's, I think, was the whole point. You know, every droid that goes after him, he, they take out. For all the exposition in this and the subsequent two films, you never actually get any insight into the Emperor's plan particularly. For example... A great question here is Tatooine was picked basically at random while fleeing. Tatooine is where Anakin is. And ultimately the emperor, uh, either, either he sent, he was somehow making Tatooine on the radar to go get an Anakin, because I understand in the extended extended, like theoretically Anakin was seated. We're just going to leave it with that by Palpatine. Yep. Uh, so, but, but oh, yeah. like for real, like how on earth did he influence the Navi comp or the Jedi mind to go to, of all places, uh, Tatooine. And for that matter, Tatooine's big. Now, admittedly, I, I get the impression there's really only one spaceport on Tatooine. So maybe, but they didn't land at the spaceport. They could have literally just landed, you know, you know, I mean, so the odds of those Jedi happening across his, uh, pre-homunculus Jedi creature, like, and all of the, the sketchiness of that and that, you know, how, oh, who I'll sell into a slave randomly because it's okay. He'll just be there when I need him. Like, this is not like space chess here. This is the emperor just, you know, goes to the craps table and keeps rolling seven. Like, yeah. there's just nothing there but that. There's no possible machination here. Yeah, I know. It's the case of, oh, maybe the Force willed it all to happen. Like, no. Yeah, well, the Force can go fuck itself because it doesn't know shit either. Um, let's talk about the, the Jedi's plans. Okay, so the Je let, let's talk about the Jedi's plans. They escape the room of gas because the Nemoidians can't do anything right. They don't know how to murder people in a closed, locked room that they can't lightsaber their way out of. I mean, I could do that, and I'm not even a trained murderer. So let's, let's yeah. just... By the way... <laughs> I, I will give credit. That is one of the best bits when they just just blow up. Just I mean, they're literally cutting open that door. Is like you like you can see they've done this crap before. I so mean, it's kind of a cool I sequence from a visual standpoint, but like as a storytelling exactly. element, it makes zero fucking sense. So they fail at murdering the Jedi. The Jedi are like, all right, let's sneak down to the planet. Why? Why don't I just steal a fucking ship and leave? 
Like, you don't give a shit. Oh, we got to warn the Naboo. Send a radio transmission? Like, how hard is this? Okay, so let's assume that is for a reason. Let's split up. Okay, you've said that line of dialogue. It meant nothing. They met up immediately on the ship again, on the planet again. What was the point of that line of dialogue? I know I'm getting super nitpicky, but that's because I'm angry at this movie. Here's where I'm going to say something to you, though, um, and I've not been able to find it nor see it. I did spend a good hour and a half uh, combing the, the the dim web since I don't really have access to the dark web, <laughs> and I could not come up with a copy of the Phantom Edit. But what I understand about that is that it's only 18 minutes shorter, despite disp- disposing of 30 minutes of stuff, because somehow or other the Phantom Edit accessed stuff that was already on the cutting room floor. And Lucas did, to, to give him his due... A random person on the the you know the baby dawn of the internet made a better edit of his movie that Lucas could have easily sued into oblivion, and he chose not to. He allowed them to do it on a non-commercial release, which is why it's so hard in 2020 to go get a copy because there are X number of DVDs that somebody paid for out of pocket to make. Um, and then that's it. Uh, no one's ever re-released it that I can see because there's no commer- there's no money to be made doing so. It'd have to be a labor of love. But um, I desperately tried to eBay and stuff a couple of them. I even made a bid on one, but the, the guy took it away the next day. I don't know if there's more of them. I haven't been back. But um, has either of you seen the Phantom Edit? Because apparently things like that are evidence there was something that happened to them when they were apart but it was on lucas's cutting room floor yeah uh there is at least one deleted scene that's on the initial dvds not on the blu-ray but there is one deleted scene that kind of shows that uh they get separated anyway so i think he just went and re-added that scene in because he decided to cut the sequence where they separated and jumped into different <laughs> ships. I, I, I'm probably remember how. Sure, I'm, I'm sure that's fine, but it doesn't add anything to the story. Like, there's nothing. Like, clearly they get back together at the end of it, but there's not like an exciting character building element. It's just a thing that happens, which is another problem with this film. Is there's a lot of things that happen, but they don't drive the story forward and they don't develop the characters. There's always a bigger. Always a bigger fish can go fuck itself. Again, this is. Let's, let's get into some stupid <laughs> shit. Um. God, you know, I don't hate the Gungans, but why is everything racist in this? Like, you've, I mean. Well, okay. Once again, Lucas is doesn't understand wh- what he was writing was bad. He was trying to write one thing and nobody told him this doesn't translate right. I mean, there's translation the errors and then there's what the, did you. Uh, now, you could argue and you could successfully argue this to some degree that. As the Star Wars films are homages, essentially, to the old serials that Lucas grew up watching, which, I mean, that is something he said is was a direct influence. Buck Rogers yeah, and things. I mean, those had lots of stereotypical, you know, yeah. oh, it's an alien, but it's really a stand-in for the foreign, the the enemy foreigner or, or the funny foreigner or whatever. And in 1999, I get that we weren't super good about stuff then. But even then, people were like giving him shit over the Nemoidians and Watto and Jar Jar Binks. And in defense of Jar Jar Binks, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I don't think that the Gungans in general were too bad compared to a lot of the other ones in this movie. But yeah. Jar Jar yes. was awful. 
like just just i mean because they turn the, let's let, another thing the slapstick comedy in this is freaking terrible all around there is no good slapstick elements in this film there's a few in the original uh, a new hope that are kind of funny like uh yeah, and they're not super funny. Like when R2 gets taken by the Jawas, that is a legit kind of a slapstick scene. Yeah. I mean, it's a little serious, yeah. but at the same time, you got these little goofy guys in robes making goofy noises and they shoot a fucking tin can on a stick yeah. at a robot and he kind of falls over and makes a clunking noise. And that's legitimately kind of amusing. At least it lightens the tone. The slapstick in this film is so bad and so heavy handed and yeah, ugh, just copied too that's the thing see one thing that people forget don't realize because you got to be like a science i mean a silent film uh, movie junkie like i am he's borrowed stuff from um specifically from buster keaton for jar jar bings like the whole there's whole sequences from old buster keaton movies that they borrow in freshly for the big battle sequence at the end he's supposed to be kind of a charlie chaplin or something like that. but guess what those characters don't talk so he's taking slapstick from Stooges or from 1930s comedies that he loves and trying to translate into 1999 sci-fi, not so uh, effective because it's it only works if you're a fan of that kind of comedy. And guess what? A lot of people aren't. I would also say that um, one of the things now, again, I'm going to say the dawn of CGI on proper budget is a thing that happened here. Uh, and we can see, based on Lucas's editions uh, of CGI to his originals, that in his mind, the lack of giant creatures <laughs> and and the lack of like enormous stuff uh, and and very you know, in other words, I, I feel that he thought practical effects were holding him back, and that therefore he could even do better with a Jar Jar slapstick stuff because he's got complete control over it. Whereas, I'll say this, a certain degree of watching those old silent films is, even when they, on the surface level, are stupid, it's sort of like watching Jackie Chan work. Like, you're watching exactly. the physical performance and amazed by it, and there is no part of your brain that believes Jar Jar Brinks is a real creature. Even though, honestly, his CGI is not bad, it's not like it's deficient. He doesn't, you know, he casts appropriate shadows. He looks like he takes up space most of the time. Um, it's not like that's the problem, that they didn't execute the weird pratfall with the CGI correctly. It's that we all know it's not real. And it couldn't possibly be real because there aren't Jar Jar Binkses. If we all thought that was someone in a suit, you might marvel at the performance of the physical comedy more. Yeah, and meanwhile, two years later, we're watching... Uh, Fellowship of the Rings, and we buy into it when you know uh, when we see a giant troll fighting them in um, you know, in the in um, the caves. I mean, it's just things like it's may also be just the way one company, which was ILM, was handling it versus how We Did Digital was handling. So, I think we do have to agree that maybe the tech wasn't ready. But the other factor is all of the sh um, aside from the desert stuff, almost all of it's in in blue screen sets. Right. And that's partially why they're walking and they're just sitting because there's nothing. And that's a major problem. No, I, yep. And I think that is that, that's what I'm saying is like Lucas felt like that the CGI revolution was the promised land. We don't have to make sets. We don't have to hardly do anything. And it was and, and I'll, I'll just say probably 
someone had to do this before Hollywood would realize that you have to intermingle the two. Like if you just look at what the blue screen set is for the Spider-Man movies recently and where they, you know, what they actually do with wire work with Tom Holland, the only way they knew that they couldn't just take a CGI Tom Holland into Photoshop and flip him around and had to actually wire him up for it to look good is for somebody to do this and it didn't look good. Did that make sense? Yeah. It, it, somebody had exactly. to prove the, the limits of the system and it's just unfortunate that this is the movie. Uh-huh. Well, it's not even the worst one. I mean, there's even worse CGI movies around. And then we should also point out, Two months before this comes out, the Matrix comes out using wire, uh, wire foo, and it and CGI combined, and it looks so much better. Which is the mm-hmm. problem. It's the, you know, the Matrix was moved up actually three months ahead of Star Wars, and because of that it kind of it made Star Wars look kind yeah, of dated. I, well, I'll say the way I'll say it cleanly is it's not that the CGI wasn't up to the mark; it's that CGI isn't up to this mark. It can't do everything Lucas wants it to do, even today, 20 years later. No. And that's the thing. He tried to do everything with it, and it doesn't work. Agreed. So I liken it as to someone discovering they like sriracha sauce, right? Remember that? Um, <laughs> sriracha sauce is great, and you can put it on a lot of different things, and it's really versatile. But you can't just have a dish where you make a lovely dish, and then you just slather it with sriracha sauce. And expect it to be good because sriracha yeah. sauce is good, so more sriracha sauce must be better. That's not how it works. And CGI is very similar. Yeah, and not everybody can handle. Oh, yeah, you know, it could be any so food trend, but like the there was always the the food trend of, hey, we discovered this thing is tasty. Hey, let's put it in a bunch of different stuff. Okay, let's put it on. Let's put a whole bunch of it in yeah. a lot of different stuff. Okay, now it's not as good. Well, because you use too much. Yeah. Exactly, and. I think we can all agree, and he didn't know really what he was going into. I think that's fair. I think also if he'd had Gary Kurtz as his producer, he might have told him, hey, don't do this, because they, they had a disagreement about certain things, Ewoks. Uh, so he could have been saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, like, or maybe we don't need this. That I think the key is he should have been saying, we don't need this part. We don't need these characters. We don't need a eight-year-old, or we, we don't need, need or, or you know, we should introduce Anakin earlier than forty-five minutes into the movie, and have him actually be relevant to the plot, <laughs> as opposed to being essentially a MacGuffin. But let's talk about the the mistreatment yeah. of Anakin he- in this film. So Anakin Skywalker is treated as sense sort of a MacGuffin, uh, not a true MacGuffin because he does have a purpose and a use, unlike a true MacGuffin where it doesn't matter what the thing is. It just you just want to know that everyone wants it. In this, he's more of a uh, just sort of an almost an afterthought. Like they had to, we have to get him. We have to get Anakin into this story somehow. How are we going to do this? Well, uh, let's make him a pod racer. Okay. Well, now what? Uh, we need to give him some motivations. Well, he likes his mom a lot. All right. Well, who's really attached to their mom? Well, young kids are. You can see the like thought train that led to this character. And you wonder why they didn't try again. They're like, okay, that didn't quite pan out. We ended up with an eight-year-old kid. Let's try a different tactic. Also, who decided yeah, that Padme had to be uh, Luke and Leia's mom? Like, the, the, the initial movies never mention her name. They just refer to her as the mother. And, in fact, there's a wonderful scene in, in, the, in the first tri- trilogy where Luke and Leia are talking about 
their mom. This is right after he's revealed that, you know, she's his sister. It's like, do you remember our mother? And he goes, uh, not really, just a few faces. What about you? And Luke's like, well, I never, I don't remember her at all. And you're like, oh, that's sweet. And and spoilers for Revenge of the Sith. Uh, in the end of the film, you find out, okay, she saw them for maybe 30 seconds, right after they were born. They're covered in fluids. They're crying. And then they don't know shit. They so know. who yeah. the hell is Leia talking about? And why does it have to be Padme? Who who did he just invent this character out of whole cloth? And I guess the answer is yes, of course he did, because there's nothing there to uh, indicate. I mean, is it because that Leia's listed as being a princess? So we had to make her mom a queen. Is, is that the whole reason? Is <laughs> No. Uh, okay. The, uh, I mean, the princess stuff, I think that's all Alderaan. I think he's, ref- that line supposed to refer to, uh, uh right. Mailer I'm sure it is. Wife, but at the same so time, like, uh, anyway, um, it, it's it's once again details, details we don't we need about need. people we don't care about. Well, yeah. Nobody knows who the hell any of these people are because he leans so heavily on us knowing stuff. So let's talk about another scene that drives me absolutely up the fucking wall: the origin of R two D T. Right? We don't we don't care about there. the origin of R two D T. I mean, it, it, he's explained in the in the in a New Hope. He's a robot on the ship. He was owned by Obi Wan Kenobi, or at least he says he was. And he's a thing. He's a he's a plot device, and he's a he's a comic relief character. He's Alive. great. Fine. I love R two D two. This is not me crapping on R two D two. However, we get the second origin story of R two D two, which is random fucking droid on this ship they've flying through a blockade, and like three other droids that all could have been just as important, but no, they got shot because that's how things work. And everyone's real glib about it. And then at the end, after he saves the day by plugging in a plug, because rebooting the router is the best way to fix your shield generator. Um, the fucking queen, it's not even the real queen, by the way, it's the fake queen, holy shit, brings him in and... That's <laughs> good good for her, she's great. Way. They bring her in and he's like, a thank you, R2, for saving the day. It's a fucking toaster, as far as any of them are concerned. It's like, I don't thank my microwave for making me popcorn. Even if I really wanted that popcorn and it was like desperate to feed it to my kid, I don't thank the microwave for doing its damn job. And then it's like, now go clean up this droid. Is it? I mean, why is the fake queen ordering the real queen to go clean a droid when the real queen would want to hang around and be around for the important stuff so she would know what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess she's obsessed with droids. That there is like no indication of that in this film at all. And right. the whole scene, the whole reason she's sent off is because it's an excuse for her to meet Jar Jar Binks. Who the hell gives a shit? Jar Jar isn't important to anything. He is a fucking comic relief character. He's... They should have left. There was no reason to come on the ship with them. They, uh, I'm having a like, fucking wait, stroke wait, as we're talking about this because no it's so point. stupid. But, 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 but wait, 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 wait. Sriracha on ice cream is good. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it back I around to Sriracha on ice cream. Uh... And secondly, right, they they could have get, redeemed the new movies in the third one here that I don't even remember the name of because I Revenge of the it Sith. You're gonna make me watch You're it. Welcome. You're gonna make no no the new ones. The, oh the one, God! Like, the, this Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, Rise of Rise of, of Patui. Um, you're gonna make me <laughs> Rise watch of that. Fanfic. I, know. I, I haven't yet. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna do it for you, Tom. But I will say I know Thank the you. reveal in there. Oh, the Emperor's been alive. Oh, sorry, spoilers. It's um, revealed in the opening crawl. It's not a fucking spoiler anymore. Right, right. But but my theory on yeah. this is if they had been willing to have balls 
it would have been Darth Jar Jar waiting for. That them. would have been fucking amazing. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <sighs> so, all right, let's cover one more, a couple of good things before we wrap this up. Uh, we got to talk about Darth Maul, which is admittedly, I would say, the character that I mean, the movie define really winning. Out. He's the character. <laughs> How many actual from. words does he speak? Like twelve, Three? maybe. One, uh, but. Yeah, and it's not even him. That's uh, Peter Saranoff is doing this. Oh, that's, not, movie. that's not even the same actor. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's the point. He didn't need to talk. He's, he's not interesting and no one cares. Like, oh no, yeah. he's a bad guy and you can tell he's bad because he has spikes on his fucking face. Like, that is the clumsiest, most anvilicious storytelling in the history of mankind. Well, but I will say that the, 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 the physicality of the performance sells it. He looks scary as hell on screen. Um, the you know works the makeup and of course the physical choreography is is gorgeous and the athleticism of the performance. Oh, is gorgeous. Uh, there is no argument. Like for if me you there. could if if you can take the worst character ever on the paper, like there's nothing on the paper. It's scary thing attacks Jedi. That's literally all it could yep. say. And you can make that into a character that people actually care about. And that then goes on with more talented writers at the helm in uh, Rebels to be, like, thought-provoking and sad. And uh, the, 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 the final duel with Obi-Wan is everything Lucas could have done with the inspirations that Lucas has cited, but so much better. Like that final Obi-Wan versus Maul scene where with all the samurai throwbacks and the fact that it's lightsaber fighting without backflips and all of that means that, that, that the character could have been something. And the only reason that character is something is because of the physicality of the performance. A bad performance in this movie and that character is never touched again, ever, or thought of for four seconds again. So that's how good Ray Park was with his his just menace on the I screen. have nothing bad to say about the performance yes. of Ray Park in this film or the physicality or the, the little subtle nod, nods and in, in, in the physical performance. What I can talk about is this point in the story. Again, there's a lot of that was cool, but what is the point? And let's talk before we I know I keep going back to this. Let's get to the end because I've got so much to say about the end. The end is four endings in one and you ping pong in your emotions so hard. Yeah. You go from like, oh, my God, scary Jedi fight. You go, oh, now he's, he's flying the spaceship. How amusing. And oh, they're in the, the, the palace for some reason. And oh, there's a, a fucking war going on between CGI characters and other CGI characters that no one gives a shit about. Oh, no, the Nemoidians are kicking – or not Nemoidians. The Gungans are getting the shit kicked out of them. No one gives a shit. You're made of CGI, and we were introduced to three of you, and two of you – only two of you had names. Holy hell, I don't care about you at all. What the? There's so much going on. Everything is crammed full of ganja. I can't fucking pay attention to anything. My brain cannot settle on a moment. I have no room to breathe. That ending goes on forever. It never fucking ends. And then they hold up a glowing globe at the end for some goddamn reason. It doesn't make any fucking sense. What the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> did I take drugs? I'm on Ambien. Holy shit. <laughs> God, I hate that fucking film. I, I mean, that. it's not the worst film. of these movies. And and there are Yeah, we've already established this is not It the just worst pisses one. me off, but <laughs> no, it's just it's uh, Yeah, it's like if the fact it, it does, like Attack of the Clones is <laughs> is a is a worse film than this. And 
I can't believe I'm saying this, but this film, and, and I'll argue with Bruce on this one. I think the pod race, if you pulled it out entirely as its own thing that has nothing to do with the rest of the story, is an interesting visual scene. I mean, I like Ben-Hur. I like space Ben-Hur. It's fine. I don't hate it. I don't love it. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's it certainly is. not a bad thing, but it's also not a good thing. Well, oh, I, and let me. I know I'm gonna keep saying this, but let me bring in the redemption of fucking midichlorians. The redemption of midichlorians, right here. This is a wonderful concept where you have the nugget of something interesting that gets fucking ruined as they as they fleshed it out. I do not hate the concept of a microscopic organism that is indicative of powerful force elements. You could have it growing on trees. You could have it growing on rocks. You can have it growing in people. As an indicator of, that's fine. The reason it sucks is because they tried to make it the source of the force, and that completely strips out all the quasi-religious elements that were so good in the first three trilogies. That is why midichlorians are bad. The, the, the nugget of the idea is not bad. It's the execution, and that is the fucking – everything about this film is in the execution, and it's all fucking terrible. <laughs> Except the physical performances and the lightsaber duels and the choreography, which are okay. And and yeah, and like I said, certain things save the movie enough. Not not completely, but if you enough. love the franchise and so. you want to know this part, like uh, if you haven't somehow already, uh, go see it. Otherwise, all I would say is the YouTube highlight reel is all you really want. Just go watch the Anakin, Obi-Wan, Darth Maul lightsaber fight. Enjoy the music. Enjoy the, that scene, like in so far as fight scene cutting goes, does nicely. Uh, they're little, again, like why are there little red force field airlocks here for no reason? But that's, that's everything. That's all sci-fi. You know, uh, they, the, the biggest uh, lampshade on that was in, um, that uh, the parody Star Trek movie of why are there choppy, crushy things here? Um, you know, why are there no safety <laughs> right. rails? Where, wh- where is space <laughs> OSHA? You know, um, but but apart from that, that scene is worth watching again and again. But the rest of yeah. this movie dumpster it. And it, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Galaxy West, which came out the same year also. So '99 had the bad luck for Star Wars of one. One incredibly awesome sci-fi movie, The Matrix, coming out before. And at the end of the year, a funny sci-fi comedy coming out at the end of the year. To basically, in both Well, let me, let's me let not cry too hard for George Lucas. Made, so. He went home and slept on his giant fucking pile of money that he made from this movie. Yeah, this did this made a billion. Straight up billion. So and many toys. A, and sold a lot of toys. Yes. All right. I think we've got enough on this one. But, guys, I think uh, as we're going to go further down this lay for each day of these, uh, we're going to find stuff that's going to drive us crazy. But I think we all agree it's not the worst one, but it's definitely Amen the to that. Three. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy this, please hit us up on our Facebook group, the Good, Bad, and Nerdy Movie Podcast, and also on Twitter. Guys, do you have anything, any last words? You know why they called him Qui-Gon Jinn? Because he was always drinking no. gin. <laughs> <laughs> that I believe. Thank you all. See you all next time. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, I'll leave this recording.